Welcome to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. At Village, we seek to be shaped by the life of Christ, to practice authentic friendship, and serve the world. You're invited to join us at either our Mission Campus or our Antioch Campus. For now, we hope you hear a word for your own life in this sermon. Our reading today is Isaiah 42, verses 5 through 9. You may locate this in your pew Bible on page 661. Let us pray. Prepare our hearts, O God, to accept your word. Silence in us any voice but your own, that hearing we may also obey your will. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people upon it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I have taken you by the hand and kept you. I have given you as a covenant to the people, a light to the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to idols. See, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. So if you're visiting today or haven't heard the word, the Reverend Tom R. Jr., who has been our pastor for 19, soon to be 20 years, has received a call to serve as the interim senior pastor at the Fourth Presbyterian Church in Chicago. And he will be leaving us. His last Sunday here is October 15th. And there's an announcement in the bulletin about a celebration to take place on Tuesday, October 17th in Friendship Hall. I hope you'll come. So Tom and I had mapped out the fall, and we were supposed to be preaching together a series of sermons based on the ordination questions that deacons and elders and pastors in the Presbyterian Church hear and say yes to in order to serve, when it became clear that God was calling Tom to leave and go to Chicago, obviously everything changed, and that sermon series went out the window. I said to Tom, what do you want to say in these last sermons that you'll be preaching here officially as our pastor from this pulpit? He said he's preached over 750 sermons from this pulpit. He said, I've got four I would like to end with. And so I was intrigued. What do you say after 750 sermons that you haven't said before? And he said, I'm going to say the exact same thing. I just want to say it four specific times. And I said, oh, this will be great. Last Sunday, he started. His first phrase that he's lived with us for years is, if I understand the text, Then in these next three Sundays, he's going to preach three more phrases. We believe, O Lord, help our unbelief. 
do the good that is yours to do, and he's going to end on October 15th with living toward God's promised day. But on this Sunday, over a year and a half ago, Tom had said yes to an invitation from the Westminster Presbyterian Church in Charleston, South Carolina, to come and preach on this day where he is right now. The Westminster Presbyterian Church in Charleston, South Carolina is 200 years old this year. And this day, this Sunday, is their Celebration Sunday And they honored our pastor, Tom, by inviting him to come and preach the anniversary Sunday. Westminster Presbyterian Church in Charleston is where Tom R. was first called as an associate pastor, fresh out of Union Seminary in Richmond, Virginia. That's his first pastorate. They ordained him and installed him there. And it's where he and Carol got married, there in that same sanctuary. So it's an honor And that's where Tom and Carol are this morning before they come back to join us for the next three Sundays. So when I said, okay, so I'm going to step in and preach in the midst of your last sermons, and he said, yeah, why don't you preach one of the phrases that you have come to love and know? And this is my eighth year with you, and so I only have one. Give me more time, I'll eventually have four, but only have one. And that is what you've heard others already saying to you. It's breathe in God's mercies and breathe out God's mercies to the whole world. To breathe in God's mercies and to breathe out God's mercies to the whole world. Now, to be sure, this is not just mine. You get that, right? The idea of breathing God's mercies is not just mine. In fact, you know this, many of you, that the great faiths of the world, all of them, from Buddhism to Hinduism to Islam to Judaism in their high holy days this weekend, the Day of Atonement is upon our Jewish sisters and brothers All of these great traditions, oh, good grief, you know this, you yoga people, even yoga is breathing deeply and breathing out. It helps us. It's all about what it means to be centered, to be mindful, this contemplative practice of breathing in God's mercies and breathing out God's mercies to the world. I was at baccalaureate for one of our baccalaureate services for Columbia Seminary, where I taught for 15 years before coming to join you. And the preacher for the baccalaureate was one of the senior pastors of our largest African-American Baptist churches there in the Atlanta area, of which there are a number of large African-American Baptist churches. He's a marvelous preacher, a great, great man, and he got up and surprised me by inviting the congregation first to breathe in God's mercies and to breathe out God's mercies to the whole world. I was delighted. I had not heard a black preacher begin that way. We were in robes as faculty for baccalaureate, and behind us sat all of our graduates who were going to graduate the next morning. And behind me were the doctoral students, and one of my doctoral students pushed me, nudged me, and leaned forward just after the black preacher had invited us to breathe in God's mercies and breathe out God's mercies to the world. And he leaned in to me and he said, that guy stole that from you. (laughs) I leaned back and said, it's not original to me. All of these great faith traditions have breathing in and breathing out. It's important for us. It's what sustains us in these days and beyond. I can tell you, 
I'm breathing in and breathing out a lot in these days. So as we contemplate what it means to breathe in God's mercies and to breathe out God's mercies to the whole world, we're mindful of how important it is to keep that deep breath inside of us. A few years ago, when Dad was still alive, he was diagnosed with pneumonia. And so I called from here to check in and make sure he was okay. And I said, how are you? And he said, I'm doing fine. I'm on this regimen of antibiotics. They want to kick this infection out of my lungs. And I said, good. He said, oh, and they gave me this thing, this machine, little machine thing. And I said, yeah, yeah, I've seen those. You're supposed to do exercises with those at least two or three times a day, right? And he goes, yeah. The nurse, she showed me how to use it. You put it up to your mouth. Some of you know this firsthand. And you breathe into it. There's a plastic ball, like a ping pong ball in there. You're trying to move that ping pong ball to a certain point. It shows you that you're breathing deeply. You're breathing out well. And that helps get rid of the infection in your lungs. Breathing in deeply gets rid of the infection. I said, are you doing that, Dad? And he said, well... Not as much as they want me to, but I'm trying. And I said, okay, that's important. Uh, Try is important, but it's up to you. You need to do those exercises every day. If you don't, that's okay. Then you will die and go to heaven and see mom. But if you want to live longer, which I hope you do, you need to breathe in those exercises. That's important. But it's up to you. Die, live, you decide, okay? (laughs) Silence. (laughs) Dad. Dad, and I hear, okay, Roddy, that's his name for me, is Roddy. Roddy, so there at Village Church, do you, do you visit people? Oh, yeah, all the time. Do you, like in hospital rooms and homes? Yeah, I'm honored. I love doing that. It's an honor to visit with them. Oh, okay. Uh, when, when you visit them, do, do you talk to them the way you talk to me? I said, oh, no, 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 Dad, I'm nicer to them. I love them. No, I'm nicer to them. He said, oh, 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 okay, that, that's good. I said, yeah, it's good. So, Dad, you have to decide. Breathe, live, die, don't breathe. It's up to you. Okay, Roddy, thank you. Thank you for the phone call. You're welcome, Dad. <laughs> breathing in God's mercies, breathing out God's mercies to the whole world. I was trying to think back to when, when did I start this routine, and I think it must have started when I first got called to Columbia Seminary. It was the year 2000, and I remember that I was called there, and I said yes, and I moved to Atlanta, and, and I had not finished my dissertation for my PhD. I hadn't even gotten the proposal ready yet. And so here I was walking around the seminary campus and talking to these brilliant, amazing professors, and yet I suddenly was one of them. I recall being at my first faculty meeting, I was sitting next to Catherine Gonzalez Gonzalez, who with her husband, Justo Gonzalez, had written The Story of Christianity, which was the church history book that I used when I was in seminary in Chicago. And here, the author was sitting next to me. And then on my right side was a professor named Shirley Guthrie, who had written an amazing theology book, theology book called Christian Doctrine. And Shirley Guthrie was one of the famous students, a favored student of a Swiss theologian named Karl Barth, 
who actually is known as one of the finest theologians of the 20th century and surely was his student, a graduate student of his, and he's on my right side. Across the table from me was Marcia Riggs, who founded the whole womanist, African-American womanist movement in the field of ethics. For that whole first six to seven months, I was walking around Columbia Seminary saying, oh, Lord Jesus, what am I doing here? I don't belong here. I'm not smart like these people. I haven't published the way they have. I haven't even finished my PhD yet, and here I'm sitting with these people. Terror came to me when one of our faculty members, a senior faculty member, the first one to invite me out to a one-on-one lunch. His name was Walter Brueggemann, and he'd written most of the Old Testament. And so I was terrified. I couldn't sleep the night before. I'm going to have lunch with Walter Brueggemann. What, am I, what are we going to talk about? He's going to find out I am a complete idiot. I don't belong here. I remember going to the restaurant in downtown Decatur. I got there early. I was so nervous. I was standing there outside the restaurant off to the side, and my eyes were closed, and I was breathing in deeply, thinking, okay, okay, just get through this lunch. Don't say anything. Just nod and smile so you don't reveal how stupid you actually are. You don't belong here, and you know that, but they don't yet. Soon they will, and that'll be lovely because you'll be put out of your misery, and you can say, thank you. It's been so good to be here. I'll go someplace else now. While I was going through this in my head, I hear this gruff voice, what are you doing? It's Walter Brueggemann. And I turn to him and say, uh... Hi, Dr. Brueggemann. And he says, what are you doing? Are they closed? And I said, no, no, I think they're open. I, I, I was just standing here breathing. <laughs> That's a good thing. Yes, sir, it is. Do you want to stand here and breathe some more, or do you want to go in and eat and breathe? I'm happy to go in and eat and breathe, Dr. Brueggemann. We sat down and he said, first thing is, you can't call me Dr. Brueggemann because I'm a colleague of yours. Yes, Dr. Brueggemann. (laughs) And that began a friendship that I continue to cherish to this day. Imposter syndrome galore, walking around, I don't belong here. Spirit says, Nishioka, just take a breath. And let it out slowly. So you know this. This deep breathing, as my dad explained, gets rid of the infections in our lungs. It lowers our heart rate, lowers our blood pressure. It gets more oxygen into our lungs and therefore into our bloodstream. It enlivens us. It brings healing A little over a year ago, Susan Story Lord died. Longtime member here, an amazing, amazing leader at Village on Antioch. During one of her rehab moments, she was at Ignite, which is a rehab center across the street from KU's main campus up here. I went to visit her at the end of the day. There were thunderstorms. She was in a high rise, and so we could look out and we could see the thunderstorms coming across. It was beautiful. I looked over at Susan and said, how are you doing, Susan? And she winced, and I said, tell me about the pain. And she said, oh, 
Pastor, it gets bad sometimes. And I said, yes, and what about medication? And she said, yes, they have lots and I don't want to take it. It makes me sleep all the time and it makes my mind fuzzy and I don't like it. And I said, oh, I know, Susan, but golly, the medication is there for a reason. It's there to help you so you can sleep even better. And she said, I know, I'll take it when I have to. But right now, I'm doing that thing. What thing? I'm doing that thing you do. What thing did I do? I'm doing the breathing thing, she said. When the pain starts to feel worse, I lie here and I breathe in God's mercies. And I breathe out God's mercies to the whole world. She said, it helps. And then when it gets worse, you know what I do, Roger? No, Susan, what do you do? When it gets worse, I don't think about God's mercies. I just think about Jesus Christ. And I breathe in deeply. And when I breathe out, I just say out loud, Jesus. Jesus. Breathing in God's mercies, breathing out God's mercies to the world. The breathing in, that's so powerful and so wonderful. It's why I love the scripture passages that we have today. This is 2nd Isaiah. 2nd Isaiah is speaking to the Hebrew people who are in exile. They're out of their homeland. They're in Babylon. And 2nd Isaiah speaks to the Hebrew people and says, Thus says God, the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people in it and spirit to those who walk upon it. The Lord God who created the earth, who gives breath to the people who are in it, and the Spirit of God to those who are upon the earth. We've talked about this before, a number of you and I. In the Hebrew, the word for breath and spirit is the same word. The word is ruach. Say that with me, please. Ruach. The second syllable, put it in the back of your throat. It's kind of a, ready, go. Ruach. It's the same word for breath and for spirit. Ruach. So in the Hebrew scriptures, it says, the Lord God who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth, and what comes from it, who gave ruach, breath, to the people who are in it, and the spirit of God, ruach, to those who are upon it. The word for wind and spirit and breath, all three of them are the same. In Genesis 1, when it says, the Lord God, the wind of God moved over the waters of the deep, it is the same word, it is ruach. Some translations say spirit, some translations say the breath of God, wind, breath, God, it's all the same. So you step outside in a few moments and you feel the wind across your face. You think, ah, oh, the Spirit of God, 
the breath of God, the wind of the Holy Spirit. But the prophet does not end there. The prophet quotes God and says, I have given you as a covenant to the people a light to the nations to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. We breathe in God's mercies, not just so that we can breathe, we breathe out God's mercies because God has given us as a covenant to the nations, a light among the peoples of the earth to help those who are blind see, to bring the prisoners out of the dungeon, those who are sitting in darkness. Come on, church. We don't just breathe for ourselves. We breathe out God's mercies to a world that is desperate for the hope and the love that Christ offers to us all. We breathe in God's mercies. We breathe out God's mercies to the whole world. It is God's breath that is in you this day. It is God's spirit that animates our lives. It is the wind of God that sustains us all. So in those moments when you can feel the anxiety rising in your soul, when grief threatens your very life, when anger when fear, when pain confronts you right there, you breathe in God's mercies and you breathe out God's mercies to the whole world. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. Learn more about us at villagepres.org. And we invite you to join us again next week.